I'm Carter, and joining me, as always, is Jonathan. How are you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing fine, but it's been too long since we've actually reviewed new movies. We haven't even reviewed a film technically from 2023 yet. It's, You've been it's, lagging. It's true. The last episode we did was our Oscars preview, and I think the last movie we reviewed before that was Babylon and After Sun. So, yeah, we, we've yet to review an actual 2023 movie on the Movie Brats podcast, which we will remedy today with three movies uh, released in the last two months, which I know one is available streaming now. I think the next two are in theaters and will be coming to On Demand soon, but hopefully everyone will see them while they're still in theaters. Um, The first one we will be doing, uh, we have two sequels and then an original movie. The first sequel we are going to be reviewing is Scream 6, which is the sequel to what are we calling it now? Scream 5 or Scream? It was released as Scream, but... Scream 2022, I guess. <laughs> Scream 2022. Um, directed by Matt bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett, who are known as Radio Silence, and previously directed the Scream release from 2022, as well as Ready or Not, VHS, and a few other horror movies. It is starring Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Mason Gooding, and Jasmine Svoy-Brown. Uh, Scream 6 follows a new ghost face killer who targets the survivors of the Woodsboro legacy attacks from Scream 2022 as they have moved to New York City as they begin their college education. Uh, It originally premiered March 6, 2023 with a wide release of March 10th. It is now streaming on Paramount Plus with a Metacritic score of 61 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 77. I think we both liked scream 2022 um a decent shockingly bit. good i think yeah so what did you think of the sequel to scream 2022 scream six well as a horror fanatic i am someone who as soon as the new movie is finished i can do my ranking now of all the movies <laughs> now so to me it's like squarely in the middle i don't i certainly think it's not one of the very best but it's not the weakest in the series um i think I was really surprised how much I liked the one from last year. Uh, I thought it was maybe the best sequel uh, in the franchise. I mean, I think everyone in their right thinking mind, you know, the first one thinks the original is the best one. Right. Um, I, I really like Scream 2, but uh, Scream 3 and Scream 4 are kind of lower on the list. I, I have to say, I've never seen any of the sequels more than once. And, mm-hmm. you know, the two and three and four, actually, all of those I have not seen in over 10 years. Uh, so uh, I, I have a fondness for pretty much all of them to, you know, some to lesser degree. But I, yeah, I, I I really thought the one from last year was like remarkably strong for a slasher sequel slash reboot, requel as they call it, that's uh, like 10 years plus since the previous film in the franchise uh that's coming out in january it was like really good um smart and funny and exciting really good young cast too yeah and the new one is another 
decent, strong, pretty good. It's just not as good as the last one. I think that uh, it's the longest film in the franchise. I mean, some of them have been really? pretty long. I mean, the original film is like an hour and 50 something minutes long. This one's a little over two hours long, I think. Um, so I think it gets on. Uh, there's parts of it where it could be tightened. <laughs> Tighten a bit, trimmed down. Right. And I do think that even as someone who's seen every film in the franchise, there is there were times where I was like, now, who is this and how are they related to this person? It, it's almost like implodes on itself with its meta comment, not even its meta commentary, but just the how many characters. I mean, you've never seen the fourth scream, right? With That's where Hayden Panettiere's character comes yes, from. Yes, who is a pretty big part of the canon, it seems, in regards to this movie. She serves as like a investigator. I think she's in the FBI or something like that. Right. And she was uh, only in the fourth one. This is only mm-hmm. the second film in the franchise, but uh, they've been bringing back some characters. Who Legacy characters. <laughs> and this is the first one that Nev Campbell is not in. Uh, yes. Reportedly, it was widely reported that she was not pay- uh, going to get paid as much as she thought she was deserved. And she stepped away. And I actually applaud her for that. Uh, you know, They do reference the- her absence in the movie. Right. Uh, I mean, she wasn't in the one last year that much. No, you know, it really was kind of, uh, you know, you had the legacy character. Jenna Ortega and Melissa Barrero very much. The right. Famous. And I think there's uh, some good young uh, new characters. I like them, but it's always nice to see the original characters pop up. Uh, uh, the big death in the last one was David Arquette. Um, right. We didn't get one like that, I don't think, in this one. There are some no. some scares. <laughs> well, of course, with a film series like this, it's like someone can be... I mean, like Drew Barrymore said she hoped she could possibly... Could be in back. another she, one? She <laughs> says, oh, I think my character could have survived. I'm like, she gets disemboweled, like gutted. How is she possible? But in these movies, you know, Stranger no Things... No one's ever dead, yeah. Right. I mean, they are, you know, trying to be realistic in the sense that like the friday the 13th films after a while like there's literally one that starts with um characters stabbing hit jason's maggot infested corpse with a metal pole and then it gets struck by lightning and it brings him back like <laughs> a la frankenstein's monster it doesn't ever screams never gotten to that point no because um, it's almost more about like the character itself and different manifestations and how different sort of outsider psychopathic people can can identify with this and sort of take it up as their own mantle i like the opening scene of this a lot with uh um what's the actress's name um samara weaving lookalike yeah (laughs) margot robbie lookalike we're like yeah that yeah yeah and she was the star of ready or not the film yes which uh radio silence did um i like that a lot the opening and then there's a bit of a fake out with even how the opening scene goes so um but I thought this was smart. I thought it was enjoyable. It's not especially scary. Um, and I don't no, know I how don't much think appeal. Any of them really are. Well, I don't know how much appeal it would have to non-Scream fans either, but I guess it's such a big, big franchise now that most people are aware of Scream and a lot of people saw the one that came out last year. So um, Yeah, I certainly would not recommend anyone just walking into this having seen none of the other films. No, it wouldn't make any sense at all. No, um, um, even like I said, someone who's seen every film and has an affection for the series, I was still at times like, now who's the brother, the sister, who's the, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that um, 
I've heard people say this, and I think it may be true. It might be the most violent and gory of the series. It's pretty hardcore, violent and gory. I mean, yeah, uh, there's. I mean, some, it's uh, it's hard to think because I know some of the kills in the first one may not be specifically gory, but like getting killed by the uh, um, garage door stuff right. like that. It's pretty gnarly, but it's not like they show like real gore in that. Right. In this one, there's like people getting stabbed like straight into the skull. And <laughs> yes. You know. So, but I think, you know, I think modern audiences have a threshold that might be a little bit higher than the mid 90s. Um, right. Well, and part of the commentary in the series, like even the very first sequel, is that, you know, with the sequel, you got to have a higher body count. You got to have more elaborate deaths. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you expect. I mean, one thing I've always enjoyed about the series, almost even more than. You know, as as strong as the original Scream is, uh, you know, a lot of the sequels are, you know, when it gets to the running and chasing and the stabbing, it's, you know, fairly standard, but it's mm -hmm. the commentary on horror films that I find really intriguing and yes. the most entertaining aspect. And I always, there's almost like a, uh, a speech or a kind of, uh, let's looking at, let's look at the state of film. And I like the fact that they talked about how in the last film, you know, there's these requels that are kind of remakes slash sequels. And in this new one, it's not even remake sequels, requels, but it's the expanded universe. Uh -huh. uh, it's like the something like Scream is almost become like a, a Marvel franchise where that, you know, no one is safe. You can kill off the legacy characters because you know there's just all these different characters now and it's gotten you know we're to the point where there's two films now with the new characters so mm -hmm. it's not like you have to just always go back to the originals so yeah i always well, I, I think it. it makes an interesting companion or not even companion but it's like what's the scary movie franchise like its fullest potential because it's funny that the first scary movie is a spoof of scream which is kind of a satire um and the Scream series is now almost like a satire on horror itself in a way. Scary movie was too like ridiculous or absurd to scary ever actually. Movie? Yeah. yeah. Did I not pronounce that well? <laughs> I thought you said scare movie. No, you know, scary that, movie. <laughs> you know that the original title of Scream was, was scary, scary movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I really have always enjoyed the franchise. Uh, you know, it goes up and down. I mean, Sadly, the last film Wes Craven directed was Scream Four, which you know, oh, really? might, you know, it's like maybe the weakest in the, the worst series. One. Well, yeah, it, well, it's like the the sixth best, let's say. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I've, I've always enjoyed coming back to the franchise, and also I, I like how, uh, even people who can pick apart the series, like, oh my gosh, how could Ghostface use a gun in this film? Like, that's a big no no. But technically he doesn't like use a gun in the sense that he's not going around using that as his primary weapon. Yeah. He picks up a gun that's there, you know, mm -hmm. and like, why would he like not, not. use a gun that's there, <laughs> yeah. you know, but he still maintains the knife wielding is the main thing. But if like a gun is there, he's going to use it. And it makes sense. Yes. And I think, I think these movies are useful because horror is becoming maybe like bigger than it's ever been in terms of that's sort of what they play on in the opening scene is sort of horror being reevaluated as something worth studying on a you know university level and, and stuff like I, that so and the idea of elevated horror so it's interesting to see this movie 
progress with how horror has over the last little bit as a genre. Yeah, because it's interesting how kind of intellectually some of the scenes are perhaps a little closer to elevated horror and kind of its thoughts and commentary on horror. But at its heart, it's like a... Just a fun movie. Potatoes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a slasher movie. You know, it's people yeah. getting stabbed in the head. And uh, they're always, you know, humor in the franchise. I almost wish that the new film had getting, gotten into how it's different we're watching films and that like you know there's this communal aspect of going to the movie theater that happens in one of the first sequels killing in the movie theater where it's like you know what's the difference now in culture where we're like sitting at home by ourselves or watching clips on cell phones or something i know uh but yeah because uh there's like this uh almost there's a museum in this new movie where it's almost like this franchise has been around almost like coming on 30 years yeah and it's like it's, it's like an artifact like a relic yeah i know yeah. and it's like playing on that but uh yeah it, it, like we're talking about horror films are one of the few genres that's not like a big special effects 100 million dollar plus budget comic book fast and furious movie that will actually do usually really well profitable in yeah the theater yeah and we we're saying, uh, like, I think Scream um, Six, yeah, it's at 170 million dollar gross on 35 million dollar budget, so big, big success, yeah. And there's all these films that have been made initially with the idea that they were going straight to streaming, like Smile and Evil Dead Rise, that have done exceptionally well at the box office. And there are rated horror films, that's another thing. It's one of the few films that will get people in the theater in droves that are R rated, yeah. I mean, how many movies, you know, make, uh, you know, this much money that are not like trying to please everyone on planet Earth and get everyone on planet yeah. Earth to go to the movie theater? It's true. Like so Ant-Man 3. <laughs> so I do think Scream has a place in the sort of movie world and the movie business and, and will continue to have because I do think the main cast is is pretty good. Um, I don't know if Gina Ortega is like the new Scream queen or like the best thing of horror movies that's ever happened, but um i th I, I like the I young cast i would give this one like three and a half out of five yeah um and i i mean i honestly might give the last one like four and a half out of five like i was so surprised at least a four but uh, yes so i do like... think the the ghost face people were stronger in the last one jack quaid and the girl from uh once upon, once upon a time in hollywood whose name i don't know Mark, um, uh, who yeah well it's, it's funny how she in both films gets lit on fire <laughs> yeah exactly but i thought they were maybe better than the villains in this one but i think that'd be the only sort of downside compared to the last one but yeah we both right, liked so... it a lot and another sequel released in the last couple months um which is becoming an ever-expanded cinematic universe uh john wick chapter four Directed by Chad Stahelski, who still has not made a movie that doesn't have John Wick in the title, um, but has now I've directed seen all four of his movies. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've seen, I've seen, uh, he's in the category of director. I've seen every film he's done in a theater in its original release. Yeah, because he's only done four movies. I'm interested yeah. to see if he makes one that isn't a John Wick movie. Like if he does like a, a romantic comedy or World War II espionage thriller. Um, starring Keanu Reeves, Donnie Yen, and Bill Skarsgård. Um, John Wick continues his quest for revenge. There's not a lot else to say about it besides that for for its plot. Um, March 26, 2023 was its original premiere. It was released wide 
March 24th. It is not yet streaming or on demand, but I assume it will be in the next month or so. A Metacritic score of 78 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 94. This was by far the longest movie of the John Wick franchise so far. Um, did you think this improved upon John Wick 3? Do you think they're taking a step backwards? Um, what did you think of John Wick Chapter 4, Jonathan? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I've heard a number of people use this phrase that's almost too much of a good thing that uh, it does not need to be two hours and 49 minutes long. Uh, and there does come a point where it becomes kind of numbing. And it's like the idea of him being so indestructible and having dozens and by the end of it, hundreds and hundreds of assassins trying to kill him. But when you reach like the two and a half hour point, you're like, okay, we get it. <laughs> and uh, I, I heard some critics say this, and I felt this way at moments in the film. Let me say that I really thoroughly enjoyed it overall. But even in the world of John Wick, like given the kind of gravity and physics and, you know, heightened suspension of disbelief there are uh, a number of times in the movie where you'd go he would just be dead now like <laughs> like there's no way a human being like you know there's a part where he like jumps out of a window and like crashes into a, a car after like three stories like he would have shattered his pelvis just now <laughs> like there's no way i mean but and sometimes and you you go well it's a john wick film like why are you picking it apart but like there are parts where it it becomes i don't want to say too cartoonish but the it stretches logic to a point where it it lessens the dramatic uh impact because he's so indestructible that it kind of like well anything can happen you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying but but still like a fast and are... furious movie it sort of jumped the shark a bit i can't comment i've never seen a single one of the <laughs> franchise um but I mean, I would argue uh, without having seen any of them were, you know, did, I mean, are any of them, you know, you know. I like yeah. all of them. <laughs> okay, I, I, I know. You're talking the John, to the wrong, wrong audience here. No, I, I have zero interest in watching those movies pretty much. But with the John Wick films, the, the new film, it has, you know, half a dozen just stunning set pieces that yes. are beautifully choreographed and shot i mean i i've said this about action films just having something that's quote unquote cool like if you read a description of what was happening on screen on a piece of paper like you can have the same basic scene in two different films and one can be amazing and breathtaking and the other one can just be complete junk and it's the way you shoot it. It's the way you choreograph it. It's the way that it's captured. I mean, Roger Ebert famously said one time, a movie is not about what it is about, but about how it is about it. Meaning, you know, it's not that John Wick does this or that. He does this movie, does that move. In There's that way. Said, <laughs> it, no, it's the way it's choreographed. And so yeah. it's an action film where you can actually tell what's happening. There is a cohesion as like, frantic and ridiculous and over the top and you know at times i think stretching credibility even too far for a john wick film there's still a sense of geography 
and you can tell what's happening. And there's something really uh, refreshing. I think a big part of that is because the director has been a long time a stunt, stunt man, yeah. performer, and, uh, you know, stunt performer uh, and choreographer. So, and Keanu Reeves has been doing this for almost, you know, well, he's almost 60 years old now. Yeah. So he's been doing it for, you know, close to, uh, you know, 35, 40 years. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I thoroughly enjoyed him. What was your favorite a- a set piece in the film? Well, I'm always a sucker for I'm a Hitchcock man. So anytime you do a set piece around a very famous landmark that everyone can recognize, the I think stairs. that's uh, well, not the stairs of the Arc de Triomphe yeah. uh, and the roundabout around it specifically, which I think is makes for very interesting. Um, yeah. The way they use cars in this, I thought was kind of cool. It, it yeah. may not be totally believable a lot of times. And it's um, almost like they're using a whole car as bullets to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um and it's a, it's like a heightened version of reality. This isn't like a Bourne movie, which um the Bourne movie's sort of technical or narrative device of putting you into being Jason Bourne is the handheld camera and almost uh not being able to really even see what's going on. This is a lot more distanced, almost like you know, you're seeing something through something else, so in that way it's a lot more um about maybe like form than actually trying to put you in the position of the characters on screen. But I think the, the commitment of the John wick movies to making each frame as visually interesting as possible um, is something that's carried this franchise a really long way. Um, They've got just a very cool color palette and use spaces. And like you said, choreography and the way people move within the frame in very interesting ways. And I think the arc de triomphe scene um, where they use the roundabout and cars and things moving certain ways and the way people interact with moving objects around them was really, really interesting in a way that I hadn't seen in a lot of action movies. Um, but also the sequence with the stairs, as you mentioned, was really cool too. And um, it's really, I, I know that I think it's John Wick 2 where they actually even like show Buster Keaton on screen or at least a clip from a Buster Keaton movie. And in, in sequences like the stair sequence, you can really see the sort of film references that go back a really long way, even to like the silent era um, that the director really wears on his sleeve, which I, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think that as as violent and kind of bone crunching as these movies are, the two types of movies that oddly make me think uh, I think of are silent and early sound comedies like Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Laurel and Hardy. And yeah, what's the Laurel and Hardy where they're moving the the piano up the stairs? Music box. Yeah, I thought of that. (laughs) Uh, I mean, there's there's such a simplicity to that stair scene because it's like he's trying to get up a flight of stairs. That's it. Mm -hmm. And it's just all these assassins. So it really is like the music box, the only short that Laurel and Hardy did that won an Oscar. And then it also, in a weird way, reminds me of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Like it's a musical almost. And, you know, it's like, except instead of, you know, dancing in high heels and through a beautiful art deco restaurant, it's like (laughs) you're killing people and stabbing them in the face. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's the, you know, there's, there's this kind of balletic, gracefulness in a weird way like i said as graphic and uh kind of <laughs> horribly violent as it is there is this kind of beauty and grace and poetry uh, to, to the yeah. motion yeah i mean i remember uh a.o scott of the not too much longer of the new york times uh at least as the film critic was saying that 
the fourth Rambo film, the one that Stallone directed, he said that it has its own kind of block-headed poetry to it. Um, I wouldn't say that John Wick films are stupid, but they have kind of, uh, they know what they are. I like the fact that... Well, I I think this one knows that better than the last one. I think the last two specifically have thought that audiences go to this looking for some sort of mythology or like deeper backstory on how the the high table operates and all these different things. And I think the last one with the sort of subplot about the educator or whatever she was called, some sort of representative of the high table was just way too much. And I think this one knew what it was more than the last one was and really um, leaned into the choreography and the nonstop action in a way that, like you said, I think it, I think it knew what it was better than John McFree did. And and Keanu Reeves is just perfect. Like, no one else could do yeah. this better because he has this this stateliness, this grace, this almost Eastern uh, philosophy. There's like this Zen quality to him, but he is also like, I'm gonna need a gun. You know, <laughs> there's this there's this kind of the Bill and Ted like, sort of attitude. I know it like it knows it's kind of dumb, but it yeah. doesn't. It, but it's not stupid in a way. It's like, yes. it's, it, yeah, it's dumb, but not. And also he's got like legacy as an action hero. Like he was in speed. He was in point break. He was in the matrix. So um, it almost like is intertextual to those nineties action movies. And um, yeah. sort of like and scream I... becomes sort of like a part of the furniture of like this genre and is, is carrying the genre forward in a way that not many other franchises are right now. Um, like yeah. we don't have a lethal weapon or um some or a die hard well, or something like no, that. Now wait a moment. We have Marvel, we have Harry Potter, we have everything. No, but those see- aren't like action franchises, like flagship action franchises. Every comic book movie is an action movie. I don't know. No, what but they're like they're almost more sci-fi now. We've taken this really strange sort of diversion into multiverses and outer space. Where I like seeing like Paris, like I want to see things that like I I recognize, and that's like the power of the Hitchcock setting the climax at a place where everyone knows is like I don't want to see something in some invented, you know, galaxy that has no bearing on the world that not, I live in. There's not the same like there was the Rambo's and the Diehards and the Lethal Weapons, and uh, you know, there's you're saying it doesn't like kind of R-rated like action that even if it's heightened and stylized is in the real world. Yeah, and like. I can see places I recognize. I think there's a real power to that. I think that's why the James Bond movies have done so well, because in addition to being like an action movie, they're also in some ways like a travelogue where you get to experience a different country or something like that. And I think the John Wick by, you know, going to Japan and France and, you know, Morocco and stuff like that. um, Like it's different, but it's like different in a way that I can understand Not like, you know, Omega four galaxy five, which is a a light year away or something like that, which the Marvel movies have leaned into and all this nonsense with the multiverse. I hope everything everywhere all at once doesn't just like make the multiverse, like the thing everyone cares about now. (laughs) Right. I mean, I I don't particularly want to see like the, I think what they're going to try to do is have a universal monsters connected universe. Like they tried to do it with uh, the the mommy movie with Tom Cruise. I know it's just supposed to be horrible and kind of killed that. I mean, it, it's it, it it's like almost the 
that TV is so popular and there's going to be a John Wick TV series supposedly, but yeah. it's like television is so popular. It's like people won't go to the movies unless they like have an investment and they have to keep going back to a series in yeah. a weird way. And even not necessarily like, Oh, here's part two, but it's like, Oh, here's part six B. That's like the, <laughs> second you know this and the series and re- uh, makes you rethink the way you saw part one <laughs> i know i mean i would say that you know with john wick but films like you, you can could... sort of see the dna of the of hitchcock right with the sort of recognizable locations and in, in james bond and i don't know right. i think that's the strength of the series is that it exists even though it's like a heightened version of the world we live in like it's in paris it's in italy it's in stuff yeah, like I'm... that and I think that one of the influences on the films, besides those old, much older films like the, you know, the comedy films and the musicals, the dance films, is uh, I think that John Woo has to be an influence. Yeah. The, uh, you know, it's just kind of this spectacular gunplay and just this kind of, you know, like I said, it's not about like, oh, it, it's so cool that he shoots this guy and he does it. It's it's how it's done that's so spectacular and mm. it's so. And I mean, even the, not even just the action set pieces, but just there's so many shots, like the neon colors and yes. the way characters before they're fighting are like positioned on the screen. Their there's posture real, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's like it was so ridiculous this year that like Top Gun Maverick was not nominated for Best Cinematography, but oh, like yeah. Bardo and Empire of Light were. <laughs> yeah, it's you know? true. <laughs> it's like not that those films I saw actually saw both those films and they were like very well done by very respected cinematographers. Yeah. But it's like, you know, like there there's like movies that get nominated in those categories where it's like, but you know, what's better than like John Wick Chapter Four or some of these action movies? Like this is really Oh, the photography's off the charts. I mean the, the technical level of this movie is insane, um, which yeah. is why I'd be interested to see Chad Sahelski direct the other stuff, because, I mean, he knows how to work with a budget, so I'd, I don't know. I'd just be interested to see him make something else. Um, but didn't he didn't he get a little numbing and like a little too much to you? I mean, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it. it was definitely a little long. Um, maybe could have done a little less with Bill Skarsgård's Viscount character. Um but I liked it a lot. I think this is maybe the best one since the first one, which I think is brilliant in its simplicity. And um, oh, I actually not a huge fan of the first one. Really? Yeah, I remember kind of feeling like you know it's fun, but I feel like this. It, 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 I feel like with the second and the third one, they almost became like they just piled on and like on. Operatic. And like, oh my God. Yeah, and by the fourth one, it almost like it's almost too much but uh <laughs> it's like literally yeah. like Pacini or something yeah, but like, like the first one's like 100 minutes and like, yeah but i love I would... that it's so stripped down and also yeah. i live near a lot of the places where they shoot the stuff in brooklyn so i really just enjoy seeing it, that stuff on screen um so it, it holds a special place in my heart for that i love seeing the williamsburg bridge on the screen right and it's also fun seeing you know these action stars pop up in the film oh uh, yeah like donnie yen's really really good in this um right as a blind assassin it's like pulling on like there's a samurai uh film series where there's the blind assassin you know it's like it's very it's very film like knowledgeable this whole series is 
All right. But I was going to say, too, I think that, like, I would not necessarily recommend, like, someone randomly watching part four. But, like, you couldn't totally be entertained by it. Like, it's not, like, yes. so plot intricate that, I mean, it's the guy. I think it's more around. accessible than Scream 6 is for someone oh, yeah. who hasn't yeah, seen certainly. any movie in the franchise. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we both like this. It, this is not your favorite John Wick. Um, it's up there no. for me. Um, it, to me, to me, it's almost like a, one of those in a franchise where it has a number of the best scenes ever across the four films. But as a whole film, it's like, you know, I, I mean, I kind of think of two and three as about being like the same in quality i just i I can't even remember it's, i can't even remember sometimes which scenes <laughs> which, are in which one. ones yeah yeah there's a club there's... shootout scene in the first one which i think is brilliant i love the um, one in the, uh the, there's a scene in one of them where they're in almost like a museum of weapons and they just start smashing that's the in the third one that one's really yeah. really good <laughs> yeah. yeah and uh there's also just the i don't know if it's that's part of that opening but there's one where he's just like running through new york and like a guy gets kicked by a horse I just remember the first like 20 minutes. That's the third one too. Yeah. Yeah. The third one's probably my favorite, but (laughs) there's uh, just a big subplot of like this adjudicator that I think is it the Angelica Houston in it. Um, yes. Is that, but it's, it's a, no, no, it's a, uh, non-binary. I can't remember the name of the performer. Um, but she, or they were in billions and and the, the whole part they're in, I just do not enjoy it all. Um, but yeah, John Wick, I think a thumbs up from both of us. So oh, definitely. we've four, done two four, like four out of five. I would say. Yeah. So we've done two entries into uh, franchises. The next is an original movie that was originally supposed to be on Amazon. We'll keep you guessing. Take it a short break <laughs> and we'll be back with you in just a second. Hello, we are back to discuss our third movie of the episode and the first one that is not part of a franchise, but who knows? Maybe we'll get an expanded universe of the Nike universe. Um, It is Air, directed by Ben Affleck, previously directed Argo, Gone Baby Gone, The Town, starring Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, and Viola Davis. And produced under Ben Affleck and Matt Damon's new um, production house, Artists' Equity, uh, distributed by Amazon. It is a docudrama uh, about Nike's pursuit of Michael Jordan as the face of their basketball division and the origins of the iconic Jordan brand basketball sneaker line. It originally premiered March 18th, 2023 at South by Southwest. And was released wide in the U.S. April 5th, 2023. A Metacritic score of 73, a Rotten Tomato score of 92. It is currently in theaters, but will be streaming on Amazon Prime soon. It was actually originally supposed to be premiered on Amazon Prime, but because of good test audience uh, results, it was released theatrically, which has been successful, making $75 million on a $75 million budget. Um, and I'm sure more people are going to see it once it becomes available for streaming. As a noted non-sports fan, what did you think of Air, Jonathan? I really enjoyed it. It's a compelling story. And like a lot of the best sports films, I think, they're not... I mean, it's not really a sports film, for one yeah. thing. I mean, you don't... You barely see any 
sports in it like i think honestly the only sports you see in the film are people watching it on the screen pretty, <laughs> pretty much. much yeah <laughs> um it's more about in the way one of my favorite films uh about 15 years ago you know about you know between 20 and 15 years ago with moneyball and that it's a movie that's about uh statistics statistics and baseball and i hate math and i hate sports uh <laughs> so yeah it reminded me of that because it's more about the business of sports than sports itself and how people relate to sports and what it means to them and how it's part of society and culture and how it's so deeply personal to people and so the characters even though i personally despise sports and have no interest in them whatsoever watching other people be compelled and talk about how great athletes inspire them and stuff like that yeah it's like watching other people be inspired and have things that mean something to them that's intriguing yeah, it's, to just, you. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a solid drama with good actors it's the type of movie that like 15 20 years ago it's like it's almost like this is a rare bird like a movie that's a drama with basically people sitting in a room talking you know and it has three oscar winners in it yes. only one of them for acting technically but uh three oscar winners and it's just a really good cast has good supporting actors jason bateman chris mancina um it's funny you talked about michael jordan being the face of the game because he, you know they do almost like a peanuts thing where you, they never really show or hardly <laughs> hear him speak it, they do that pretty well but there are some points where it's like they're almost going out of their way to like to not show his, yeah. i know uh but i think it's smart to not have it focus on him because that's not really what the story is about it's it's you know it's before he's gonna blow up really it's it's focusing on the businessmen and the family the mother especially it's yes. really about them and it's almost like a, a character study of you know where people are at their life you know matt damon's character is almost it's like if this deal that's kind of crazy they're going to spend all their money on one player yeah. whereas they would do three or four in previous years you know if this it's going work, all in on someone yeah right and uh it's like this may be like it's like almost in a Western, like this is their last, you know, run they're going to do. Uh, whereas, you know, and of course he went on to have a really amazing career because of the success of that, but it's almost like this could have killed his career in a major way if it didn't go well. And then Michael Jordan is like, what, he's like 18 years old in this film. He's on the rise. Yeah. You know, he's just about to explode. I mean, it's like, he's a very uh, respected player, but no one really knew for sure like he was going to be you know the film says it like declares that he is the greatest athlete of all time yeah basically yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah which i think a lot of people would not disagree with but. no and it it's it is rare to see an athlete who's had the same sort of cultural impact that he has especially uh we were discussing before we started recording the just how popular sneakers are with people of our generation and um in a lot of ways jordan's almost more famous for being like the guy who makes the basketball shoes than the basketball player um so in some ways this movie is is um, about the sort of commodification of athletes and athletes you know being brands as much as it is about sports so in that way it's almost more of a business story but you know like titanic or something like that it's a movie that uh, a lot of people will be aware of what's going to happen at the end 
before they even walk into it. So it does a good job of, of making the end seem suspenseful in a way that um, is difficult to achieve. It's sort of walking a tightrope with that. Um, it's got well, a really, almost, really good cast. Yeah, like, as you mentioned. I, I, well, I was going to say, it's almost not what's going to happen, but how are they going to achieve happens. it? Yeah. That's the tension and the dramatic weight of the movie. Yeah, right. I mean, and Matt Damon's just starting to uh, to you know have a sort of cottage industry of playing semi-famous 20th century American business types with this and Ford v. Ferrari. So it makes an interesting companion piece for that as like an ultimate sort of dad movie with Matt Damon. But um, it's it's interesting that at for uh, this movie as a sort of you know black in Matt Damon's career where he's starting to sort of allow himself to be aged and show himself and not necessarily a totally flattering light. He's got a beer belly and a gambling problem in this movie. I want to mention one other film. Do you ever see the Steven Soderbergh film, the informant? Not for a long time, but I yeah, did. It see reminded that it me of out. that because they're, they're both films that are, you know, not really, I mean, that one's more of a comedy, but you know, this, yeah. you know, it's, this is like a, a funny drama but there's, you know, they're both heavy set men in that film and they're wheeling and dealing. I mean, in that film, his character is a little bit more questionable. Like despicable. About right. But uh, in another movie that it reminded me of a way, a movie I really like. Did you ever see Margin Call? Yes. In a weird, it's not as like, that movie's almost like a thriller with the words. Like it's really tense. Yeah. Uh, it's basically a film set over the course of one night where a group of, uh executives and uh financial people are figuring investment out the, bank yeah that the 2000 is about to go the 2008 down. financial crisis and it, it doesn't i mean the film's air is not trying to achieve that kind of tension or be that kind of dark but there is this kind of uh suspense and engagement with the audience about you know what it how you know people sitting in a building talking about financial things and what's going to happen like there's it's similar in some ways it's it's more playful and you know it's not nearly as dark but it did in a way remind me of margin call yes there's some tense sort of boardroom scenes and one-on-one um meetings and stuff like that um it's just interesting for me to see ben affleck and matt damon aging as stars and where ben affleck's going to move forward as a filmmaker um because reading about the production of film yeah, it is. I think was it uh, was that prohibition gangster thriller that was a big. They live by night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, live, yeah. live by night. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah, I've seen all of his films in the theater in the original release, except for that one. That was in twenty sixteen. You know, yes. he. It's like he had Argo, another film, one word title that starts with A, along with <laughs> there. Um, I think like that. Uh, but yeah, I. I mean, I think this isn't an uncommon comment, but I think that. He's probably an even better director than an actor. Not that I ever thought he was a bad actor, but I mean, he's not like in the top 10 of his generation best actors, let's yeah. say. But like, you know. But effective in this movie, in the role yeah. he gives himself as Phil Knight, because um, he's the director of the movie and he also plays the CEO of the company. So it's sort of like an interesting dual role. But a supporting role. I think yes. that he's one of those people in a way that is sometimes best in like supporting character roles in a way like i actually Which I, I thought he him. was in uh the last duel as well yeah, i was just about to say that yeah and and like i think that he sometimes has a 
sense of humor like he doesn't mind yes. playing the guy with a kind of bare feet up on the desk like yeah. he, he leans in i mean sometimes when he played like the stoic leading man it felt a little you know i don't Plastic. know that, yeah like you know not necessarily bad but just you know he didn't have the charisma of some of the other actors of his generation you know what's interesting too is that like i never think that matt damon is all that charismatic an actor but he's like a really solid he's almost in a weird way like he's a really another one that's he's a good character actor in a way yeah like when he's in the coen brothers true grit and uh you know he and he's also like in a weird way he's a big list you know a-list movie star but he looks like really normal yeah like like he's not like this you know model uh yeah he's not like know, brad pitt or Leonardo no. DiCaprio or Ben I mean, Affleck you could, or someone like that. You could totally see him like at a, a, like in a middle America at a PTA meeting. Like he would yeah. look normal. Yeah. Which I think now that he's aging and he's leaning into that more, uh, I'm interested to see what he starts doing. Um, but he's he's one of those actors who, unless he's doing like a a big cameo, which we've seen in stuff like Interstellar and stuff like that, is no, basically move. always the lead. Um so I'd I'd be interested to see him starting to do more like Ben Affleck does in this movie and be maybe the second or third. Yeah, like um, I mean, it would have to be someone. I think that you know, it's like he absolutely would want to be in a Coen Brothers film, and he's like certainly a supporting role in True Grit, but he's really good in that. I thought. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's one of the few ones where he isn't the lead. Yeah, um, yeah, but like I said, I think it's like oh, I'll do anything. I'll do catering on a Coen Brothers film. Like yeah, he would probably yeah. right. Um. Yeah, and I, I really like him in this movie, and he's self-deprecating in a way that I think is fun, and it's not like, you know, how he'd see Mark Wahlberg. I couldn't imagine Mark Wahlberg in this role, um, but yeah, I liked it a lot. I mean, it's for, for a movie where you know what's going to happen, it, it kept my attention. Um, I think the supporting roles were really good. Chris Messina, who's sort of a, a second-tier sort of actor, I don't think a lot of people would would even recognize the name necessarily, but he's been in a lot of stuff people have seen. He was in a, he's, a TV show, I think, The New Girl or something like that. Mindy Project, yeah. Mindy Project, and he, yeah. And he's in Vicky Cristina Barcelona. He's one of those actors you may not recognize his name, but you go, oh, that guy, and you look on IMDb and you've seen him in 15 movies. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. He's Very uh, effective of, as an agent in this movie. All right, um, he's one of those really good character actors that it's just like, oh, he's just a really good actor. Like he just, it, it's like he just fits into so many movies and he can play. And he's great as this, you know, ruthless agent who they point out, you know, is a really good agent, but doesn't make friends. Friend. Yeah, right. And um, this is a very self-contained movie, which we've done two sequels. We did Scream Six and John Wick Four, and it's rare to see a movie that's so self-contained these days. So I really enjoyed that as well. Under two um, hours. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too, dramatically about the movie, is that, like, what happens after the movie, is like so big. Like it just revolutionized uh, the commercialization. You know, that like you're talking about athletes being like a commodity but like in a weird way like if you look at the story itself the film is telling it's a relatively small story yeah it's yeah contained. it's just a guy making phone calls and watching vhs tapes of basketball right <laughs> and it's and and like we said it it doesn't even have any of the dramatic tension of uh many sports films because there's it's not about a game at all no it's, yeah it's really about it's like uh, I said this about the Steven Soderbergh film High Flying Bird. It's almost about the uh, the game of the game. It's the mm -hmm. behind the scenes wheeling and dealing. Yeah. There's this own kind of competitiveness and 
uh, there's an art, there's uh, a way that people can maneuver, just like he's watching Jordan and the players in the videos. It's like he hops straight to the Jordan parents instead of going to the agent and like yeah. he's playing them. So it's in a way he's like a player, but yeah. in his field. And it's, yeah, yeah, and it's life or death in a way that even like, you know, game seven of the NBA finals isn't because his livelihood is on the line in a way. Um, and, uh, uh, what's the actor from Rust Development? I can't think of his name. Jason Bateman. Yes. He, there's a really effective scene where his character sort of lays out how how big the stakes are for him personally, where it comes to, you know, his relationship with his daughter and stuff like that, that um, I think it does a good job of driving home how important this stuff is for people where, uh, you know, if you compare this to like life or death, it might be like, oh, you know, not that serious, but for the people involved in it, it's like the biggest thing they've ever done. Um, and I, I, I think, and I, Viola Davis is like one of the absolute best actresses of her generation. And it's just really, uh, a, a supporting role, but a really strong support. It's one of those roles, almost like in doubt her first Oscar nomination where, you know, she doesn't have as much screen time as some of the other actors, but she's so significant to this. Yeah. Plot. And playing an everyday person in a really effective way. Right. Um, yeah. Like someone who's just a normal person who's thrust into a circumstance that's, you know, way bigger than they ever expected to be a part and of. It's also nice to see a movie it's a period piece that almost 40 years now, uh, a period piece with an African-American character. That's not primarily like a civil rights slavery movie. Yeah. Like, that's always nice to yeah. see it. Like, you know, Hattie McDaniels used to say that, you know, people would say, you know, Oh, don't you get tired of playing all these maids? You know, it's like, well, I'd rather play one than be one. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of heavy and sad that, you know, Viola Davis is such a strong actress, you know, as good as she is. And, you know, these movies that deal like very directly with racial issues. It's like, yeah. it's just nice to see her like playing Michael Jordan's mom in a movie. Like she doesn't a, have this sort of weight of responsibility of right. having to be it, like a representative sort of figure. Yeah. It's, it's fun to see her, you know, kind of play, just play uh, a character. Yeah, yeah it, like she, she's such a such a great dramatic actress, but it's almost like no pun intended with air. It's like I just like where you can breathe. Like it's not so yeah. tense and dramatic and heavy. And like it's nice to see her in kind of this small contained drama. And I think so, that yeah. was one of the uh, the stipulations Michael Jordan had for agreeing <laughs> with the movie is he wanted Viola Davis to play his mom. Only the right. best for the best, I guess. Um, right. But yeah, I I like this movie a lot. This is a real dad movie. Um, oh yeah but i think it's one it's very accessible i think if most people watched it i think they'd enjoy it um i think there's a big audience just for this movie because you don't necessarily have to be really sports literate you don't have to be that interested in business i mean like the when they mentioned uh there's larry bird and magic, magic johnson, johnson and then there's someone else they mention uh charles barkley no, there's someone Old else Bar. that was like major. Oh, like, Julius Irving. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Don't, I had no idea who that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, the, I'm that, like, I, I don't even know all the people they're mentioning. Uh -huh. And I still thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Yeah. So, so definitely a recommendation for me. Yeah. I think it, it, I think it will be streaming on Amazon Prime soon. 
I saw, I don't believe this. On Wikipedia, it says that Amazon paid $125 million for the script. That can't be true, right? <laughs> it's almost like the <laughs> the story of the movie, but it's like this movie is not going to be the Michael Jordan of movies. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's a good movie, but it, like it's not going to break the bank. I, I mean, just can't believe more. that. I don't know where that like came from. Um, but yeah, but it's yeah, Amazon. I like to I like to say Amazon has really done a good job of more much more than Netflix of actually being serious about theatrical yes. distribution, putting it in theaters. Yeah. You know, it's sad though, it's not to go off on a tangent, but they did it's an they worked with an amazing lineup of directors in like the mid-2010s for like six or seven years, and like almost all of them bombed at the box office. Working Amazon? with like yeah, like Todd Haynes' Wonderstruck, Todd Solon's uh, Wiener Dog, um, Jim Jarmusch's Patterson, Spike Lee's Chirac. They're like all these like 90s huh. auteurs, uh, early 2000s auteurs. They did movie after movie and some of them really interesting, really good movies. And like virtually all of them like made no money at the box office. But I'm glad they tried at least. And this one's <laughs> actually just... done pretty well. Yeah, but it, yeah, and I wouldn't call like Ben Affleck like an auteur, and he's certainly a more recent director. But uh, yeah, it's just uh, I I I'm I, I really like Amazon because they really at least for a while like Whit Stillman's uh, you know they like they're giving Love all these French people film. yeah I know there's like all the but like all those movies I was mentioning like they like made no money at the box office. Uh, <laughs> Did so, they finance uh, Peterloo? That was yeah. Mike Lee, that made I no money. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and they just like they're all these really good, uh, you know, like auteur directors. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Richard Linklater's Last Flag Flying. They're like all these like like of it. Not every single one in the same generation, so but like a lot of these like '90s auteurs, and they just like nobody went to see the movies. I just yeah. it, you know I went to see like every movie I just mentioned pretty much in the theater. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I think Eris found an audience. I think it's done pretty well, and I think the audience will even expand further when it's streaming. Unfortunately, most people probably view streaming rather than the theaters, but it's just a classic, good American, solid movie. Um, yeah, it's like you said, very much a dad movie. But like I think anyone could, you know, no matter what your relationship to the real story or sports at all. It's just a solid drama and it's really entertaining and it's good actors and it's big movie stars doing interesting work. And it's like, I mean, I'm not expecting like, you know, it's only a fourth of the way through. The it's year. not Citizen like, Kane. No, <laughs> it's not like I don't like does this deserve any Oscar nominations. Probably not. I was wondering like, about that. Well, this are we are we so bottom of the barrel these days that Air will get a Best Picture nominee? No, no. But I could see conceivably like maybe original screenplay. Yeah. Violet yeah. supporting actress, but I don't know. It's too. It's way too early. To it is. Too, it is too early. Yeah, I who think, cares what the Oscars? I think think. next time we will be back with uh, probably some horror movies. Maybe Bo is afraid. Uh, one of the more buzzy movies of the year so far. Um, Evil Dead Rise. Stuff is starting to come out. Well, I've uh, seen like twenty five. You've seen a lot five. more movies. Than I have. Uh, but we're getting to the point in the year where stuff is starting to come out. Usually, January, February is a bit of the doldrums for the movie release calendar. But the, um, actually, in the last like three weeks, there's been a lot of stuff. Yeah, there, there's been a lot that's coming. Uh, Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. It's gotten really good reviews. I want to review that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm going to New York, so I'm going to cram in some arty movies. But uh, needless to say, we we will have less of a break between this episode and the next one. 
than between this one and the last one. And we'll have some more movies from 2023 to review uh, for our audience. So thank you for listening and we will be back next time.